Welcome to the Sailing Into Oblivion podcast. I'm your host, Jerome Rand. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Anchorage. Not Alaska, but Mighty Sparrow. We're out here. Just tried to fly the drone, and that almost crashed and burned. Battery level just dropped. <laughs> Still a little shaken by it. It uh, One of the rotors clipped me, and man, I'll tell you... Those things take a lot of practice. I'm not gonna lie, they're uh, they're tricky, and I keep uh, pushing the envelope by trying to fly it off of this this here vessel, and it's not. It's always a little scary because you know you screw that up and bang, there there it goes. It is gone. But yeah, I launched it, and then I forgot that I had to take the beginner parameters off so it was going super slow it was sluggish it went right through the rigging and luckily didn't tap anything and then uh, I saw the battery flashing and I was like oh god get it back now and just brought it down low enough and I snatched it out of the sky but uh wow that was a close one I was probably within about 30 seconds of it just dropping out of the sky so we'll chalk that up as a win emergency emergency landing Mm. Oh, got my coffee. I had a wonderful, wonderful night's sleep. And I think I think this one will be separate to the other podcasts. So let's just go ahead and start it off like normal. If you want to support this show and keep it on the air, consider possibly signing up on Patreon and helping to support the arts in a way. Uh, or at least the random ramblings of a salty old sailor. Join the family. They're 50 strong. We're wonderful people. Hop on in. The water's warm. If uh, you want some, if you need a shirt or if you need a hoodie or something like that that has uh, a neat picture or kind of a cool world map on the back, hey, why don't you uh, follow the link in the description to my bonfire page? Show you some cool stuff there. And uh, last but not least, if you want to reach out to the show, head over to sailingintooblivion.com. Click on the podcast link and contact the show button. Those emails go directly to me. Ha, huh, go figure. I actually read them. All right, that being done, let me set the scene. It's gorgeous. Uh, it's fully overcast, kind of uh, ominous. Well, not. I don't want to say ominous, just dreary, I guess, would be a really good word for it. But it suits the area that I am anchored in perfectly. Really flat water, small little ripplet waves. Uh, the wind's maybe blowing five knots. And I have this beautiful point of, you know, tall sort of marshy grass with the backdrop of mostly pine trees and another cove. There's only one structure on one side I can see, and then about a half mile is the other side. Really, it's all just speckled with the intracoastal type uh, voyage, which are usually big posts with either orange or green signage on them. And then to the back of me, there's about three or four different different uh, houses. We've got one boat, this beautiful little old wooden boat took off this morning. It looked like some sort of junk-rigged, catch 
if you will. Uh, it was absolutely stunning. Um, orange, or not uh, orange, green and yellow. The teeniest little dinghy I've ever seen. Uh, obviously, the guy got up this morning and hoisted his sails, sailed off the morning. I doubt that boat even has an engine. Maybe it does. Who knows? But just peaceful, serene, super quiet. And it's always pretty neat to see a, a sailboat sail off its mooring or uh, off of its anchor because it's just a, a stealth aspect to it where it's just quiet. You wouldn't even know it was going to happen. I just randomly came up on deck and, and was able to watch the action unfold and Obviously, someone who knows his boat very well because there was not a hint of blundering or anything like like that. Very different from me trying to anchor for the first time in like four years or three years. So, mm. very cool to watch this morning. Uh, but then, yeah, the Intracoastal is just uh, behind me. I haven't seen anybody moving on it yet today. Like I said, we, we're going to have patchy rain for a little bit here and then it should dry up. Eh, kind of off and on, but the game plan right now, it is 7.30. I've been up for quite some time, made a huge breakfast, huge. It's just like, it's flat calm and you're out here on your own island, essentially. Uh, a little different than being on the dock, for sure. And I don't know, kind of a slower pace to things out here, I'm not going to lie. Uh, very different from being out at sea as well. There's there's a little bit of that isolation and independence, I should say. Isolation is probably the wrong word. But there's an independence to being out on the anchor that I have long since forgotten about. The quiet, the you could almost, almost compare it to when you're hiking in the woods on the Appalachian Trail. And you go from staying in a shelter to pitching your tent and sleeping in the woods. And, you know, there's there's a little bit of risk. You know, you're on your own. So if something gets wily or weather comes in, you know, you do have to deal with that just like you would here on Anchor. But at the same time, there's a peace and a tranquility that you find that you can't get in the marina um, per se just like you couldn't get in in a shelter. So pros and cons, pros and cons, like always. But very interesting. It's been it's been kind of eye-opening and at one point I would have scoffed, haha, at the thought of, you know, cruising up and down the coast uh, and stopping in all these places and anchoring half the time and all that. I mean, you know, I'm not really outfitted for it per se. I don't have a dinghy. It's really not super convenient to just be stuck on the boat at anchor all the time. Uh, it is definitely nice when you when you have a little bit of transportation, so you can at least at least go visit a beach or pull into a dinghy dock and go to town and get stuff. I mean, obviously, if I were to do this without a dinghy, it would essentially be a schedule probably of you know, five, six days out on anchor and then you'd pull in and and then go ahead and uh, pick up a marina or a mooring buoy for, yeah, a couple of nights near town, reprovision, all that sort of stuff, plot and plan, connect up with everybody and then go from there. But the whole cell phone thing is is definitely a big game changer as well. Or I shouldn't say cell phone, but smartphone where, you know, in the past, you know, I might have had a cell phone. So when I'm at anchor or whatever, I can call people. 
but I never really had the whole essentially your computer, your email, and all that sort of stuff in the palm of your hand. And that is a little different. I mean, the idea that you could you could pull up YouTube or something like that and just peel through some videos. Not a fan of that. Not a fan of that. I wish, uh, and and it is. It's in my command not to do that, but it's a little tricky <laughs> sometimes. But it's pretty darn convenient to be able to have that and be able to upload things and, and all that sort of stuff. So that's kind of neat. I do like that. Uh, but yeah, it is it, it is glorious. It opens all up into this big kind of wooded area back here. Very natural setting where we are uh, right now. And I don't know. I just, I had such a nice night. I had a great night's sleep. I did have one little mosquito get in there at some point, start buzzing away. That's what woke me up this morning. But other than that, it was just peaceful, quiet. The boat wasn't really making any funny noises. And I don't know. There's just sort of a solitude to it. So what else you could ask for? I do not know. Oh, we've got a little bogey at uh, 12 o'clock. Somebody coming in on their little motorboat. Probably some little fishing boat or something like that. But. Oh, man, it's so neat. It's so neat to be out here. Oh, yeah, that's definitely a little... They they must do crab or something like that around here. A lot of weird noises, though, last night. I know they've got a bombing range somewhere somewhere around here. I don't know if that's what it was or if <clears throat> Mongo was getting testy. I'm going to have to definitely rebuild all the bushings and such on on the old wind vane before I set off next. She's getting a little, or he's getting a little loosey-goosey when it comes to its lower unit thumping around back there. It was kind of interesting. I watched the video on Pat Lawless and his issues with the Aries, and yeah, I don't, I, I couldn't really tell, but essentially the gear mechanism that connects the wind blade to the actual blade, the hydro blade, the one in the water, seems to have either sheared off or somehow it had become completely disconnected from it. And while the pieces were there, something was missing. But everything looked pretty worn on that. He had definitely used that thing quite a bit. And uh, yeah, I don't know. It made me go and look at Mongo one more time and make sure it was looking all right and and seemed okay so uh yeah that's a bummer um to lose yourself steering out at sea really isn't something that I think would be fun at all in any semblance but it is doable to manage without it I suppose and and you will find a way I think all of us would no matter what but yeah uh, Mongo is a staple on the on the uh, stern end of this old boat, and and we we all kind of work as a team. It's kind of funny. I I've all often thought of that. I I forget what the term is where you give human traits to non-human entities, but essentially, there's myself, there's Mongo, there's Sparrow, and I suppose those. Us jolly three are pretty much the ones that <laughs> that go out to sea and everything. I know at one point I had thought about, you know, the tiller, or the rudder, and the mast, and blah, blah, blah. But they just don't have the personality. Uh, you know, because Mongo 
sometimes gets a mind of his own and starts doing things that uh, don't really make much sense and then other times seems to know exactly what I need from it at that moment and somehow makes it happen. And and obviously Sparrow as a whole is just an amazing, amazing entity. Um, just, just super crazy. Took care of me so many times. Uh, so I try to take care of them. Oh, we got a little, little rain here. Might have to, I'm, I'm actually in the cockpit right now, but we're safely hidden under the Dodger. But if the drops start to hit this microphone, we're going down below. So there'll be a little bit of a break, but right now I'm just enjoying the fresh, the fresh, fresh air of the morning. Oh, there's birds flying by. Like, honestly, I think this is kind of, this is very reminiscent of being up in Sylvania Wilderness right now. Not sure if I've talked about that too much, but there's this little secret gem, this beautiful place, which I don't mind sharing with my listeners. Uh, it's up in, on the border of the UP, the Upper Peninsula, and Wisconsin. And it's about 25 square miles of absolutely pristine uh, virgin, I believe it's virgin forest. Uh, lots of big old white pine, all that stuff. There's pine trees up there where you can't even reach your arms uh, halfway around them. But it's all canoeing except for one of the lakes. They allow little tiny uh, fishing boats with outboards. But I think it, it's comprised of probably like 40 or 50 lakes. You have to portage in between them. Um, there's little lakes, big lakes, all that sort of stuff. Absolutely stunning. You know, I you don't you don't really see anything flying in the air unless it's a bald eagle. Um, I've never seen a bear up there, but we've seen deer, and it's it seems like a very tame wilderness uh, when it comes to the animals. When it comes to the weather, it can get a little bit ferocious. We've, we've, uh, gone through some pretty gnarly thunderstorms and things like that, but it really is quite a spectacular place. And I think I've been up there almost 10 times on these various camping trips, either in the early spring or the middle of the fall. It's kind of a gamble summertime yeah there's so many mosquitoes up there you're literally going to get carried off so unless you like to camp in a bug net my advice would be to always go up there when the temperature is going to be in the 50s and 60s because then you're gonna you're not going to have the bugs you're always going to build a fire they have these big beautiful fire rings not the hokey like above ground ones but they're sunk in uh, big old U.S. Forestry Service ones, and they have their own little grills and such. But the campsites are primarily basic. Uh, they're all away from the water. That's probably one of the only other drawbacks to that place. But in essence, that kind of keeps the pristine atmosphere when you're out on the lakes because you don't see anybody's bright you know, orange tents and things like that. You're just seeing absolutely untouched wilderness all around you all the time and then so you hike up you find these little secluded campsites you know you got to register for them all and all, all that sort of stuff but <clears throat> essentially there are, there might be a few logs around the fire pit that have been there for years for people to sit on and such but other than that it's it's pretty much unmolested area and 
you know, uh, in the spring, it's really easy to find firewood. In the fall, it's a little, you got to go a little bit further because it's all been grabbed up. But never once have we been there and there's been a fire ban. It's always, always, always been just an absolute, what's the best word to describe this? Elation when I get there, I guess, would be a good word. I'm elated. There's a weight that is lifted. There is a expectation that I know will be fulfilled where I am going to essentially be smiling the entire time I'm out there. It's it's absolutely wonderful. We're already in cahoots to try and plan something for September of this year. And, you know, I've always thought the more the merrier. <clears throat> when it comes to those camping trips, it was always about Six people was the perfect amount. You get more than that, it's a little too confusing. You get less than that, it's not bad by any means. Uh, I've gone out there with just one other person, and I've gone out there with five other people. And it's fantastic. Every single time is a little bit unique and a little bit different, even though we've, I think, I've visited just about every campsite you can there over the years. But even when it's raining and all that sort of stuff, I mean... Now, once you're once you're sort of wise in your old years, you know that you just go get a couple of big tarps that you can you can hang so that if it does rain, you can actually have kind of a roof over your head that's big enough where you're not just crouched down and all hunkered in, but you're actually uh, able to have a bit of area and enough area so that stuff can stay dry. But who knew this was going to be the camping podcast, huh? I didn't. <laughs> but it's just this area around me. I mean, I feel like I could almost be at Sylvania. Wouldn't that be a trip to take Sylvania or take Sparrow up there and just uh, plunker in the water up there? That'd be something else. Although those lakes aren't very deep. There is one called High Lake, which is, I think, about, I want to say it's almost 90 feet at its deepest. And that's the the highest of them all. And it's the only lake that's not that brown sort of tea tea color from all the leaves and and all the pine needles and stuff sort of changes the color of the water up there but yeah you go up there in august and it's warm enough you're swimming all that sort of stuff but like i said you get the old skeeters hate those things oh wow just beautiful i've got i'm basically i'm not that i would ever do a podcast to kill time i mean no way, not me. But uh, it's just about eight o'clock. I'm gonna start picking up and getting ready to go. We're gonna do this one in a couple of parts too. Hopefully, this all all runs accordingly. The boatyard opens at nine, so I think I'm going to get underway here in about a half an hour, 45 minutes. It's only 16 miles away. So that would put me up there sometime around noon or so, and uh, well, no, then I'm not. I'm gonna I'm gonna pause. I don't want to get up there. I know the boatyard; those guys are definitely gonna be taking lunch at noon. So I want to get up there between one and two o'clock. And if it's 16 miles away, let's say four four knots per hour. So it's going to take me four hours. So I don't want to leave here anytime before nine o'clock. That's uh, that's just a law. <laughs> 
Or at least that's my best guess. I'm assuming that this this yard runs pretty much the same as the previous one that I know and love, Knights Marine, Rockland, Maine. For all your yachting and lobsterman needs, look up Knight Marine right there next to the ferry terminal where service is our middle finger. (laughs) You better watch out. Because Dave Boone's on the run. Mm. Oh, you'd almost think that I put whiskey in my coffee. No, we're actually officially a dry boat right now, believe it or not. It's pretty pretty rare for Old Sparrow, I know. But uh, I didn't, didn't really feel like making an extra special run to go get more. And don't need them anyway. I'm uh, enjoying just the ambiance and everything like that more than anything so it's absolutely stunning last night got to talk to quite a few people some friends some family uh it's nice to play catch up and and then just sort of relax with a good book for a little while and uh drift off to sleep my back is feeling a little better these are all like updates now i guess this just in my back is feeling better than it has in a while it still hurts but It does feel like I've turned a corner. I'm doing these stretches essentially religiously now uh, when I get up and then before I go and then once I get to wherever I'm going and then do them in the evening and then before I go to bed and pop some anti-inflammatories and then hopefully get a good night's sleep in a decent position, but... Uh, slowly but surely, we are turning a corner. And I'll tell you what, I mean, I know this. I know it for a fact that you should always prioritize your health. And I know that I definitely wasn't. You know, I go on these stupid, like, completely horrible binges when I get back from trips. And this last one was probably exponentially worse of a binge than ever I've had before. And... So you're not eating correctly, you know, you're drinking too much, you're not, you're not exercising as much as you want. Uh, I was still running and such, but I wasn't doing the, the rest of the stuff that you need to do, keeping the core strong, keeping everything going, doing the other exercises, stretching, and now I'm paying the price for it, I think. I think that's all it is, so... It's really one of those things where you have to develop or I have to develop these good habits of eating a little better and trying to trying to get the exercise in as soon as I'm mobile enough to do it and I know I'm not going to strain my back in any way and hopefully that will come to fruition over the next 3 4 weeks. Uh, before I start work and everything, but it's, I don't know, for a little while I was worried. I, I thought, holy cow, I'm not going to be able to even do the job that I'm signed on to do this summer because I got to be able to move around and bend and I got to have energy and all that sort of stuff. And that's one of the things that's really scary when you're when you're sort of injured. It it takes your energy away because you're you're in pain. So you're dealing with that pain and it takes your enthusiasm away and all this sort of stuff. And, and if it's the direct result of me sort of not taking care of myself, then holy cow, uh, I guess that's a good incentive to take care of yourself a little bit better. Because there's that old saying of, you know, you don't know what you had until you lose it. Well, 
I think that goes doubly for your health. You know, you don't really, you take it for granted that you feel good and everything's all right until something goes wrong and all of a sudden you're in pain or you're immobilized or something like that. And then all, then it becomes your absolute top priority to get back in action and, and feel better. The hardest part though, is to try and remember that how you wound up in that place in the first place. So that's my pontificating for the morning. Ah, oh, Jerome, he's so smart. <laughs> the Oracle has spoken. No, the Oracle is Thomas Murphy up there at Night Marine. If he's not drinking with you, he's drinking alone. <laughs> uh, he wants still, I still got to do a, a Thomas Murphy shirt. The Murph edition, the Oracle. Mm. Oh, that's good coffee. I finally made a good batch. It's been a while. Oh, the rain is coming down now. Looks like we're going to have it for, uh, ugh, I'd say, a good hour or so. But, hey, I've got a good hour or so. Uh, well, so we got plan A and plan B today. Plan A is pull up anchor and head on out of here, start making my way north. The winds are super light today. It's just going to be motoring, probably not any sailing at all, unfortunately. Um head right to the boatyard, get hauled out, put her on the hard, sort everything out, and then we're good. Plan B, as we get underway, I call the yard. They say we can't do it today. And I duck into another really interesting anchorage, which is even more protected than this one. Uh, Just a couple of miles, four miles or something from the boatyard. And either way, I'm pretty happy with. I don't mind being anchored out. It's actually pretty fun. Um, But it will be nice to put this baby to bed. You know, I I was thinking about it last night, and interestingly enough, this will be the end of what I'm now dubbing the disaster season. Um, You know, my, my sailing seasons usually are from the fall to the spring, and this one was definitely cut short. And with the intention of it being like a five-month nonstop sale. And I don't know. I don't know how I feel about it all. It's going to be kind of interesting. I'll probably end up doing like a full-on wrap-up show of the entire sailing season for me and what, what was good, what was bad, what I learned. But, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of nice to see this one come to a close. Uh, I had a good friend of mine. Troy, who had said, hey, you know, got to think of it this way. Now, the deck has been reshuffled. So, yeah, you get knocked down. You break the boat pretty bad. It's a pretty scary scene. Uh, Definitely new respect for the ocean, all that sort of stuff. Well, guess what? Chances are that you're going to, you know, it took you 70,000 miles to get to that point. Well, you probably got yourself at least half of that to go before something like that happens. And I know that's the absolute uh, uh, statistical nightmare because <laughs> I could go back out there and get hit by another rogue wave you know, next week. But still, it's uh, a brighter way to think about it. And I always figure if you've got your choice between looking at the bright side or the bad side, the bright side or the dim side, I'd rather go with the bright side every day. So 
Yeah, the rain is a coming down. It is pretty, though. Ah, and it is kind of nice to be out of that sun. I definitely got not cooked yesterday. I put a ton of sunscreen on, and it got cloudy in the afternoon. But I checked on, I, I listened to some of the recordings from yesterday's little jaunt, and uh, they weren't too bad. I learned something about when you just use this little H4N Pro handy recorder that you got to turn that mic way down. Uh, when I'm using the microphones, I keep it at about 92. Uh, but when I'm using just the little recorder without the good mics, I think I got to drop that to about 70 uh, as far as the mic seven sensitivity because it was pretty loud and it kind of blew it out just a little bit. But I think it's acceptable. I'll throw it out there. Uh, I'll probably tell people they can fast forward <laughs> through it. But, hmm, oh, who knows, who knows. But as this rain starts to saturate things above my little head and my microphone <clears throat> to avoid any damage or anything like that, I think I'm going to pack this one in. This will be the first half. Hopefully the second half will take place in the boatyard tonight, cracking a couple brews, celebrating. If not, we'll be at anchor again, and that's going to be pretty nice as well. So. We will continue, and and then I, I always thought it was pretty funny. Like, I press stop on this, and then the next time I press record, it might be a day or so later. But for you, the listener, it's merely a split second. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. <laughs> Hello and good morning. Oh, wow, that was a sleep. That was a sleep of somebody who's no longer... At sea, <clears throat> or floating, or at anchor, or at a dock. That's the sleep of someone who is on land, and it felt amazing. This is going to be the season wrap-up show. I've got my little chart in front of me. I've got some of the other stuff in front of me, and uh, we're going to just sort of get into it a little bit. Talk about the uh, ups, the downs, the changes, the nuances, whatever, I guess. Uh, but before we start the show, like I always say, if you want to become a Patreon family member, part of the support group keeping the IV flowing into <laughs> this podcast, you can follow the link and to become a patron member. I also do put a couple links in there if people just want to do one-time donations. That's totally acceptable by any means. All that stuff's in the description. We also have the merch, as always, out and available. Follow the link in the description for that. And then if you want to reach out to the show, sailingintooblivion.com, podcast button, and click on the Contact Us. And that uh, will come right to me. So without further ado, the wrap-up. Oh, I've got coffee. It's a overcast, kind of off-on-drizzly-rain day here in, I guess we're in Belhaven, uh, Belhaven, North Carolina. I have never hauled out this far south, and it's pretty, uh, I don't know, you know, the idea with the hurricane season thing, that was always a really big perk of being up in Maine, because obviously we don't really get them up there. Although they did have a pretty wicked storm right after I left. Uh, big, bad, something or other. But regardless, 
There is a little bit of tension, I guess, or a little bit of thought uh, as far as, you know, me leaving the boat here and then heading off to go do other things for the summer and into the fall. So that is something that has to be taken into consideration, I think. But uh, as far as Sparrow goes, I think we're probably just going to strip it down more than I normally would. Cut the windage, so to speak. Uh, it does seem like a little pretty protected little area in here and as of right now I have a vacancy on one side of me and then an old motor yacht on the other side so I guess the big question will be whether or not I end up pulling the mast off before I go or not I'm not too sure we'll have to sort of see but the guys around the yard definitely seem to know exactly what they're doing and uh, I'm going to take their lead when it comes to all the hurricane prep and all that sort of stuff. But obviously, you're going to get the sails off, the boom off, spray skirts off, dodger off, uh, pretty much a clean deck, if you will. The question is, do I take the solar panel that's mounted to the gallows off? Eh, eh, maybe. It's not hard, you know. We're just talking three bolts. so Or no, four bolts, maybe five. And then that thing is off, and, and uh, we no longer have to worry about it. Then I was thinking probably just getting one of those small little trickle charge sort of solar panels that I can connect up into the grid, so to speak, and uh, you know keep it going. Because obviously there won't be anything on in the boat. And you know it's either that or you just disconnect the batteries completely, and uh, you just let them sort of live. And I don't know. I'll have to investigate that one, see which one is better. I mean, it's only going to be for uh, June, July, August, September, October, five months. So I don't know whether or not it's better to just disconnect the batteries or, or not. Hopefully, I don't have to do that. <coughs> Excuse me. I'd much rather just keep them topped up. And in the past, I know I've just left the solar panel on, and uh, it just tops them up constantly, so... We'll have to see. I'll have to do a little research on that one. But yeah, wow, what a season. Holy smokes. Uh, part of me is definitely like, phew, I am finito with that season. Holy cow. Um, and then part of me is kind of like, dang, uh, it wasn't very good. I had some experiences, but a lot of them were bad and <clears throat> Definitely did not get the mileage in that I'm used to. I mean, at minimum, we're typically right around the 10,000, <coughs> excuse me, right around the 10,000 mile mark, if not more. And yeah, I think we're more around the 2,000 mile mark this year, um, maybe a little bit more than that. I never really added up exactly how far that trip was uh, going out around Bermuda and then back down. I'd say that's probably uh, that's probably about 2,000 miles as is. So, yeah, maybe we hit 3,000. But uh, I always did say back in the day that uh, if I stopped using the boat the way she was supposed to be used, uh, that it would be time to bequeath it off to someone else, some young adventurer, starry-eyed, looking at uh, trying to explore this big, bad world of ours. And I don't know. Um, who knows? <sighs> we'll have to see. I don't think I'm there yet. Actually, I know I'm not there yet. But I do know that uh, dwindling numbers, you know, once they start creeping down, they usually keep creeping down. But I'll leave the... Uh, 
prophecies to other people as far as that that sort of stuff goes. But yeah, I mean, thinking back to it, we launched around the 10th of November <clears throat> back up there in Night Marine up in Maine, a place that I will sorely, sorely miss and already do. Uh, I put out a couple of pictures on, on you know Instagram and stuff and Everybody's like, you're back in Maine already? I don't know, because that's been my home. Maine has been the home. It's been the base, the uh, the summer base for so many years now, uh, since 2017. And this will be the first time I'm getting separation anxiety. Murph, oh, Murph and Heath and Cy and Celia and... Oh man, everybody daily, all these all these great characters that are up there, and I'm not gonna obviously chief the. Uh, the yard manager. It's tough. It's tough when you get, you know, used to, uh, you get used to that sort of lifestyle. And then all of a sudden you throw a big change up in it. And, you know, I, I do think that had, had this whole thing gone completely different and, you know, I just went out to sea for four or five months and came back, then yeah, I'd probably be headed right back up to night Marine. But yeah, as it is, uh, it just didn't, didn't quite work out that way. And so, yeah, November 10th, we launched. We sat on that dock forever, waiting for the weather window. And that was back when Nicole started creeping up. And so I, I paused and waited for that one. And then uh, what seemed to be a good window turned out to not be a good window. It turned out to be a beast. And I knew, you know, leaving that late in the season, it was going to be pretty tough going. But I figured, you know, we'd get through it. And, yeah, just... Uh, one, two, third gale's the charm. Uh, it was well. It was a near gale, near gale, and then then an actual gale in the Gulf Stream that got us. And you know, I, I lessons were learned there. That's for sure. Uh, you never really tangle with that one. It's not worth it. And I never would have before knowing knowing that uh, you know back in the day I was sort of uh, unaware of the exact position of. Gulf Stream and stuff like that, but with the new tech, the Iridium Go, Luck Grib, all that sort of stuff, uh, I think I got a little overconfident, I, I should say, in my abilities to pinpoint my place in time against the stream and against the wind, and I think that was really, that was really the downfall there um, when it comes down to it. It's just overconfidence and making sort of the wrong decision, and it's so funny because I can think about it now. And I remember, I remember that morning, and I remember about a day or two before then, before I reached the stream, thinking, okay, I should probably just hove to here and hang loose. That's one option. Or I can cut right across and get to the other side and hang loose there and be further south on the approaching low. And, you know, I made the decision. I went for it. Um, the one I question now, though, obviously is the plan was going to be to hove to in that position and then sort of wait it out but boy when those winds kicked on and they got real strong I just there was part of me that was like no way man we got to get east this is an easterly let's just rip and I was right next to the Gulf Stream but yeah who knows who knows hindsight's 2020 so I don't want to sit here and debate myself on my choices that I made but 
it is one of those things where you do think about it because you're trying to learn from it. I mean, that's that's the, the number one goal. Failure, success, it doesn't really matter. It's whether or not you're going to learn from either of them. And it's usually a lot easier to learn from failure than it is success. Uh, success just is sort of like a seems to be just a, a reinforcement to keep doing the same stuff, but which in some ways I guess would be good. But in other ways, it's like, well, where's your uh, creativity going to come from? Where are you going to get out and reach out into these new arenas. I mean, you know, uh, obviously everybody's life's changed once 2020 came in into play and everything changed, but you know, uh, that was when things like this podcast, uh, started up and some of the other social stuff started, uh, as far as, uh, social media and everything and trying to grow, grow things outside of doing presentations and and such and you know we've got an illustrator working on this this series of children's books now which is just crazy um to think that that might come to fruition by the end of the summer and have this uh cool collection of of children's books i don't know uh all these things they they essentially did they came out of um not self-imposed failure, but failure to be able to continue doing what I was doing. And all of a sudden it's sort of like, well, you can either sit there and gripe and moan and, and just wait, uh, or you can sort of get busy and see what else you can do. And that was, uh, that was the route I took and I'm glad I took it because I'm sitting here talking into a microphone and, uh, I'm, I'm able to share sort of these experiences with a lot of people and, it's been fantastic. I mean, the the amount of mail and stuff that I get about the show and questions and and all that sort of stuff. It's really, <clears throat> I don't know. It just it brings it home that uh, this is something worth doing. And I mean, probably the the biggest part of this is the amount of people that I've been able to sit down with and just have a nice one on one conversation. And uh, we're getting better at that. I think uh, it's it is a skill that must be honed for sure. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not the easiest thing just to sit down knowing you're recording, trying to have a, you know, interesting conversation. I've come to realize that the trying part is, is what's detrimental to a lot of these things is, you know, you just want to basically sit down and talk to somebody genuinely. And if you go off on some tangent, it's fine. You don't have to redirect it right back and try and stay on some time. No, huh? You're having a conversation. Conversations go all over the place. And I love that. I love the, uh, I love how these days I'm sort of getting more, uh, or I seemingly, you know, I'm only seeing it from my side. I don't, uh, I don't see it from the side of the listener, but <clears throat> it's one of those things where it feels like, you know, when I get to show like 300, let alone 200, uh, we should have a pretty good rhythm being able to just sort of sit down casually and forget the microphones are there and really just focus on the person and the stories and the debates and the conversations, you know, that's one thing I haven't delved into by any means. And I think it's because probably we're just talking about adventures and stories and people and, and what they do and all that. We're not really discussing the issues, quote unquote, which I don't know, since the beginning of this, I've always wanted to steer clear from because there's enough debate going on about all sorts of stuff. And obviously I don't really want to ever get into the whole like politics and, and pop culture stuff. 
So who knows? Maybe in the future. I don't know. I doubt it. But uh, I've always thought this would be, you know, podcasts for me were always just a great thing to either have in the background or sort of as a not a distraction, but like a break. Um, you know, I can do what I'm doing, but I get to listen to this thing, which takes me away to a different place and takes me away to a different place. <laughs> Gosh, I'm a little phlegmy. I don't know if it's the moisture in the air. Yesterday it was super foggy. Or not super foggy, but like hazy. And I was uh, motoring. The exhaust was just like billowing out of this boat. And I thought, oh, man, I got a problem. Am I burning oil or something like that? But I think it was just when I breathed out really hard, I could see my breath. And it's warm out. So... I guess that just means there's a huge amount of moisture in the air. But I digress off into the weeds. Again, here we go. So, yeah, back to back to the storyline. Speaking of which, yeah, we sat on that dock, and we were lucky the weather in Maine was really good. It was just offshore wasn't very good. And I just kind of kept seeing these new systems and new systems, and uh, the long-range forecast looked good every time I looked at it, but then eventually changed when it got to the short term. But I will never forget that morning where I ended up checking the mainsail. It was the day I was supposedly going to take off, and there were icicles hanging down from the mainsail. They were tiny. You know, we're not talking three-footers here, but... Yeah, we had these little tiny icicles, and I just thought to myself, oh, my goodness gracious, we need to get south now. And that was sort of the call to arms. And that morning it was bright, it was crisp, the winds were blowing out of the northwest, <clears throat> which is perfect for getting out of uh, Rockland and Penobscot Bay and out into the Atlantic. And, man, it just felt... Uh, it felt like it needed to happen just then and there. And I knew that I was going to go out and end up in, you know, a near gale. Well, not near gale. That forecast pumped up while I, you know, in the day and a half that I, I took off to the middle of the Gulf of Maine. But I think that was the first first little uh, time. Once that wind came on and then I turned the radio forecast on, not the, you know, iPad sort of forecast, and they were calling for near gale conditions. That's when all of a sudden I was kind of like, huh, this uh, is uh, uh, not going to be great. And I, all I had to do was hove two for 12 hours or so, but still 12 hours in a near gale in the Gulf of Maine is not fun, especially when it's that cold, um, you know. And I've always said that I like to really like to set off in good weather for multiple days because then I can sort of stretch Sparrow out in a way. I can, I can ease her back into the old motion of the sea. It calms my mind. I know Sparrow can take it, but it calms my mind a little bit to, you know, just be able to start out slow, work on it tune the rig, do all these little things where you know, okay, now we are, now we're in, in you know, full setup mode. So that I did not get. Did not get that one at all. I basically left with some good wind, got becalmed for a day, and then we hit a near gale <laughs> from the wrong direction. Uh, so, you know, it is what it is. And that uh, was all part of it. I was still amazed at how fast that barometer dropped. Holy cow. It went down, I think, over 24 bars uh, or inches or whatever. Um, 
in like 24 hours it was it was a steep drop because it was just a, a small compact low and the, the center of it went pretty much right over us but still i you know you look at that and you think of the old the old sayings about the falling glass and all that sort of stuff but uh yeah and then just going out and uh and then obviously i've talked well and enough about the whole night of the knockdown and all that sort of stuff but <clears throat> yeah that was quite a game changer to be to be rocked that hard um again when i think back on it now though uh when i saw the size of the, the, the screws that were holding the gallows in i'm shocked that it even lasted that long to tell you the truth because of how small they were and how they didn't really go all that far into the fiberglass, maybe a quarter of an inch if I was lucky. So, uh, you know, uh, in a, in a lot of ways, again, hindsight, you know, check, check and make sure everything is up to snuff. I mean, you know, with this boat, when I prepared to sit around the world, I mean, that was probably one of the one things that I didn't do was check those, but I mean, I pulled all the ceiling out and everything, and everything else is through bolted. It's just the position of where those bolts would be uh, are up and underneath or behind the fuel tanks and all that sort of stuff. It's not an easy place to get to by any means uh, without cutting some sort of access point. So, uh, you know, uh, just little little things here and there. You're always going to find areas where you could have improved i'm sure but again that's that's part of the journey <laughs> it's how you discover them i suppose that really counts and for me now yeah it's going to be one of those things where a little more diligent you know before i set off again <clears throat> we'll be going through old sparrow with the fine tooth comb and making sure everything is snip snap ready to go i am really happy with that setup where I just have the one solar panel in the back and then the other one is on top of the Dodger because that that seems to one both of the solar panels are pointed straight up you know in the past the one that I had hinged underneath was at kind of like a a bit of an angle and you know it always pretty much had a little bit of shading on it from the twin backstays and I and it was smaller, you know, it only pumped out like 100 watts or something like that. This one pumps out 180, the one on the Dodger. The other one pumps out 220. So that was like a pretty awesome thing just just out, you know, on this last little trip, this little week-long jaunt into madness. Uh, I essentially was producing huge amounts, copious amounts of power. I was able to keep things on and running at full blast uh, like never before. And normally power outside of the tropics is typically a bit of an issue. And even though I am much further south, it would have been interesting to see, you know, how this setup would work up in a place like Maine if it would, you know, fall short still. Um, but again, you get enough power generated to do what you need to do. And knowing that I could run everything full blast and still have a huge amount of electricity uh, over uh, over abundance of it, then I would think that, you know, if I tune down what I was using, a.k.a. the refrigerator, if I eased that off a little bit, then I pretty much could probably get away with southern ocean conditions, I think. Um, 
yeah, I don't know. It's it's pretty crazy, but yeah, I I, I guess coming out of that whole knockdown and everything uh, and all the damage and all that sort of stuff, as far as the repairs go, I'm feeling better about Sparrow than the than I would have before knowing what I know now, if that makes sense. I'm not sure if it does. Because obviously I was sort of ignorant to the fact. Um, and the added bonus is just that the solar system is better now and we have more power and it's a little more convenient too. I don't have to uh, hinge and unhinge that one uh, in the back. And the fact that this one above the Dodger is removable, that makes it even better so that, you know, you get into heavy weather, you take that one down and you got this beautiful spare just waiting to be utilized. I do have to figure out how I'm going to run these wires because it's definitely going to be a permanent fixture for sure. Um, and so right now the wires run actually through like the gap between the washboards and the hatch. And uh, that's not great. It's not great. It was kind of in the way too with the main sheet and all that sort of stuff. So not awesome. But yeah, I mean, looking on the bright side of, of an incident like that, as far as the boat goes, <clears throat> I think it really was just uh, a blessing in disguise as far as like a way to shake it up. You know, you get... You get so used to your boat in a certain way and you just don't really want to change much. And you're like, well, it works. And that in itself can, I think, become a bit of a trap where innovation sort of stagnates. Wow, I'm using big words. Innovation stagnates and we need to we need to push forward and always be questioning, always be changing, always be fixing and trying to make it better. Albeit obviously also being content with what you have and enjoying the moment, not getting caught up in it's always got to be better because then your whole life is it's always got to be better. And I don't want to, uh, I don't want to miss out an opportunity for a good sunset while I'm down designing a new solar system to give me 10 more Watts. <laughs> That'd be a waste. Holy cow. Mm. Oh, I finally found the secret mix with this coffee. It's, so much better. I'm using this stuff. <clears throat> Sorry, my I am phlegmy today. Jeez. It's called Chalk Full O Nuts, and it comes in a big tin, and it's pretty good. I'm uh, not gonna lie. It's and it's not very expensive, so I'm happy with it. <laughs> I'm happy with my coffee. It's delicious. I love it. Mmm. I used to really not even be much of a coffee drinker back in the day, and uh, it wasn't until it wasn't until I started solo sailing that I really started drinking coffee. The Even on yacht deliveries and stuff, I'd always pass, always pass. And I think part of that was like I just didn't want to have to clean up and all that sort of stuff. And it was, eh, you know, it was pre-Yeti stuff. So uh, a cup of coffee came up in a coffee cup, and you sort of spilt half of it all over the cockpit. Then you had to rinse that down. God, the glory days. And it got cold really fast. We are spoiled. Yeti, you have spoiled us. The world has a whole new way of ingesting hot and cold fluids. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think onto sort of the mental aspects of, of that night and of that voyage as a whole uh, were probably the most impactful 
as far as going forward. I know there was definitely quite a bit of uneasiness uh, just on this last voyage when looking at the weather, and the weather was really good. I mean, as far as uh, not windy, uh, which is not always really good, but in the sense of I'm not going to get run over by a freight train again. So that was kind of nice, but at the same time, there was like a bit of, I guess you would just call it anxiety um, in my head. And as much as solo sailing is this sort of adventurous idea, this this sort of, um, you know, you just physically you got to be ready. The boat's got to be ready. But mentally, you also have to be very ready because you are, and I've been thinking about this a lot more lately, but you are essentially trapping yourself on a tiny island from which there is no escape, and at least no immediate escape. And that can be kind of scary when it comes to your mental faculties of being able to hold on. And, you know, I've had that feeling once before in 2020 on the trip, the failed attempt to go through the Northwest Passage and, you know, passing the Azores and then not really being allowed to go into any countries and feeling sort of stuck and, um, you know, almost losing your grip, almost losing your grip and getting to understand what happens when you're stuck in the middle of the ocean and things sort of stop making sense. And the big fear is that you lose control over the choices that you make and you just start. I mean, I, I guess it would be almost like being blacked out. Uh, when you've had way too much alcohol to drink and, you know, you wake up the next morning, you don't remember, uh, what you did. And then maybe some things come back into play, but it's, uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know because I haven't breached that, that line. I haven't jumped off that cliff yet. Thank goodness. But the notion that it's there, that that line in the sand has been drawn, and I know where it is, and I've come close enough to see it, that it's something where you got to have your, your, you have to be in the right mental state to go out there and be out there for a long time. And uh, it's very important. And if you're not, if you're questioning it even just a little bit, then probably start off a little smaller. Um, and I think in a lot of ways that was the game plan on this last trip was, you know, just go out to Bermuda and come back. But I think there were extenuating circumstances. It wasn't all just, you know, me sort of sitting out there freaking out, but it was a lot more, uh, there were a lot of other, you know, sort of almost like loose ends in my life that I should have been able to tie up but at the same time I'm you know the weather dictates the departure date for me and I don't know I just needed to go uh, and I knew I needed to go then and there and so the other things would have to wait but when you have loose ends and things and you head out to sea that uh, gives you a lot of time to think about them uh, when you should be just sort of enjoying the time and paying attention to what's going on you're just sitting there thinking like oh man I wonder if that person's like really mad because I didn't do that one thing, uh, <laughs> which is definitely not good. And, you know, the sea has a way, when you're alone out at sea, it has a way of amplifying your emotions. Uh, I used to call it the emotional roller coaster, but now I might call it the emotional amplifier. So who knows? Who knows? But yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the effects of 
of losing the AIS, losing some of the crucial systems that I really rely on to make it so that solo sailing is safe and I'm able to sleep and all that sort of stuff. That was sort of a game changer and an eye opener um, for sure. And it, it made me definitely add more backup stuff so that I can run I can run the AIS or some semblance of an AIS from just down below without an antenna up there. And then obviously having a spare antenna <laughs> that that actually works the perfect one. I don't know why this one for the icon is so expensive. It's like 200 and something bucks just for the antenna. And I think it's just because it has a funny little fitting or whatever. But used to be able when I had the older uh, Mazu tech. AIS, you could just buy these generic VHF uh, AIS GPS antennas, and they were probably under a hundred bucks. And you could just get a couple of them, and then you've got them, and you could tape them right onto the gallows, and it was great. I did that down at Cape Horn, and I remember the tape that I put on those wires. I only, only ever removed when the entire gallows got washed away. So years. Gorilla Tape, I tell you, you guys do a great job. Fantastic product. Not even the ocean can eat that stuff. I mean, what kind of tape can you put on a boat? I mean, it just it boggles my mind that you can throw some tape on uh, on these wires going up this gallows, you know, little strips of it here and there, almost like big, fat, wide uh, zip ties, and it's getting splashed with salt water left, right, and center, and year after year after year goes by, and it doesn't even look like it's getting old. It's absolutely incredible, and that's why I always keep two rolls of Gorilla Tape on the boat at all times. Oh, I wish they would sponsor me. That'd be pretty sweet. <laughs> oh, man. Mm. But, yeah, I mean, it is um, mentally, I think that, I think if I if I wanted to, to grade the toll this this uh november december voyage took i would rank number one at mentally number two at uh uh physical cost to the boat and and possibly physical cost to me because i've been scratching my head trying to figure out why my back slowly slowly got worse and worse and i don't know if it was the time spent over the computer trying to make all the videos and do the books and things like that or if it was something that started when i got you know thrown out of my bunk uh and then subsequently thrown out of my bunk one more time and that sort of set something off so physically you know that's that's one but uh, I think financially was the other one you know obviously you put a bunch of money into the boat and then you go out and you break it and you watch a bunch of it sink literally into the ocean um, but it did allow me the chance to get down and see a bunch of friends in South Carolina it gave me the chance to rework the boat so again trying to look at the positives you know it's just been lean really lean <laughs> when it comes to that but I hope that's all going to be changing pretty soon. This fall, we're going to try and get out there and put together a speaking tour. I've got the rough draft and everything of this new presentation uh, about this voyage and about triage and about um, essentially, 
you know, the choices you make when you're in a disaster and all that sort of stuff. Really, really interesting stuff. Played in with a whole bunch of the clips from the trip. And I'm going to be able to exercise and work out that presentation this summer before hopefully hitting the road in September. So as far as that stuff goes, I'm pretty hopeful. Uh, fingers crossed. And there will be more information about that as as we get closer this summer. And I know that it's really good uh, and has some real substance and some good takeaways and things like that, then I think uh, I'll put out some more information and uh, a little bit of a call to arms for any of those listeners who are part of yacht clubs and things like that that might uh, be interested in having me come on out and share some of my experiences. So we'll get into that later. Um, but yeah, I, I think the last one, though, is the, the sleep deprivation. Holy cow, that was a first. That was something. I mean, there have been plenty of times when I've been out at sea, and yeah, you got to go a day, day and a half without sleeping. It happens. You get in really crummy, squally weather, or you get close to land. You know, I'm used to that. I'm very used to that. But over the long haul, not used to that. Normally, I'm out. It, the world is my own little place, and there really isn't anything going on. You don't see any ships, and when you're tired, you go down and sleep, and when you're awake, you wake up. And to not be able to do that, to physically, or, or mentally, I guess, not be able to lie down in your bunk, because I was able to do that, but I just couldn't fall asleep. My brain was just whirring. <laughs> And <clears throat> I'd just think like, oh man, oh man, this is going to be another ship. There's going to be another ship. What's the forecast? What's the forecast? Da, 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 da. Where's the wave? Another wave? Big wave? I hear the waves. And uh, that was really hard to get over. Really hard to get over. That did not work out well. Um, and when you're when you're only getting like an hour sleep every day or so, that is, uh, and compound that over a couple of weeks, that gets pretty frightening. What happens? You know, you become kind of weak. Your brain loses some of its faculties. You start seeing things a little bit. And that stupid podcast. I don't know why I ever listened to it. Well, I know why because it was on sailing, but. There was some podcast, it was on the Outside podcast, which is really good. You should check it out. Uh, they've got some good stories. There's a, a lot of ads, though. Uh, get ready to listen to, like, 15 minutes of ads and, and ad breaks. Oh, and, you know, side note, uh, I know there was a little bit of time where there were ads being played on my podcast, uh, and it was just some little feature that I, long ago, you know, when I was signing up with Podbean, had essentially clicked, oh, yeah, ads. Because I figured it was never going to happen. Um, and as the podcast grew, then they started kicking them in. And when I was listening to one of my shows, I heard one of the ads, so I went directly in there. So hopefully there shouldn't be any more ads unless you know iTunes or, or Spotify are putting those ads on. But I don't think they do. I don't know. Who knows? But hopefully there aren't any ads. I've always wanted this podcast to be sort of ad-free. And if not, then maybe like, oh, you know, if Gorilla Tape wanted to reach out, you know, and they wanted me to do a little spot right in the beginning, you know, one minute, two minute. Hey, I might be up for that. I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to break any rules right now. Uh, <laughs> oh, now I've lost track of what I was talking about. Um, 
Oh yeah. So that podcast on outside podcast. So, and it's just about this guy. He goes out and he can't sleep and he loses his mind and, and then disappears. And, you know, there's a, there's a stream of really strange messages where you can tell he's definitely obviously must be seeing something. Uh, he's hallucinating all that sort of stuff. And then boom, he just like disappears. And, I don't know, that got in my head a little bit where I was just like, dude, you could actually like lose control of that brain of yours uh, as as in control as you think you might be. You never know. There could all of a sudden you could you could reach a breaking point where you haven't slept in like three days. And then all of a sudden click. There you go. You're you've lost it. And your brain goes into like lizard mode. I always thought back in the day that no matter what. And I know Matt Rutherford shares this with me. um, that essentially you get to a point where you're so tired where your body, you're, you're just like, you know what? Don't even care at all. Boom. You hit the bunk and you wake up like four hours later. And that's how I always saw it. And that's how it always usually happened before. I mean, even if I had to just take all the sails down and just, just go and, and sleep for a while, then, you know, I would hit that bunk and boom, I would be out. So it wasn't really an issue, but for whatever reason, um, this time was different. <laughs> I think there was just too many things on my mind. So uh, I think I think it has to be, uh, in a way, you're, you're headed out there with sort of a, a clear conscience, you know, that sort of thing. Not, not a clear conscience. That's the wrong word. Um, you're just mentally prepared to be out at sea uh, and know that, you know, things back home, things on land, you know, they'll take care of themselves. You don't have to be worrying about it because you're, you're definitely not part of it right now. So, <sighs> yeah, interesting, interesting. All right, we got to take a quick little break here. Hold on one second. Let's, uh, how do I do that? I'm going to just stop. 